Join us on Archetypes, a dynamic podcast hosted by Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, as she digs into the labels that try to hold women back. In each intimate and candid conversation, Megan is joined by guests like Serena Williams, Mariah Carey, Paris Hilton, Issa Rae, and Trevor Noah as they delve into the roots of countless common descriptors of women, like diva, crazy, dumb blonde, and the B word, and redefine and reclaim each identity along the way. The complete season of Archetypes is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the dough, where cash is queen and we hardly know her, but we're still here figuring her out together. Because y'all, season two is here, okay? Hosted every week by me, X Maya. Remember, I'm going to be talking to all types of people about their relationship to money. Reality stars, entrepreneurs, financial experts, and even some of my own friends. Basically, anyone who will get real with me about their dollars. How they make money, how they spend it, and how they save it. Because I'm trying to retire early, people. Season 2 of The Dough is out on March 21st, wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada. Welcome to Unaddiction, the podcast. My name is Dr. Nzinga Harrison. I'm a board-certified psychiatrist with a specialty in addiction medicine and co-founder and chief medical officer of Eleanor Health. On this podcast, we explore the paths that can lead to addiction and the infinite paths that can lead to recovery. Our guests are sharing their own experiences, the tools that have helped them along the way, and the formulas that allow them to thrive in recovery one day at a time. This week, Ed Popel, AKA Mrs. Kasha Davis, joins us on the pod. I'm not gonna say I was brought to tears, but y'all, I was brought to tears. So let me give you a little background on Ed before we jump into the show. Ed Popel was born and raised in Scranton, Pennsylvania. He displayed what would be called effeminate characteristics as a young boy, and was ostracized most painfully by his father. When he came out as gay, his parents disowned him. He left his 18-year career as a successful telemarketing executive to follow his dream of being a performer. And that's how I came to know of him as Mrs. Kasha Davis on RuPaul's Drag Race. Ed shares with us the roles of Alcoholics Anonymous and spirituality as integral parts of his recovery formula as well as the unwavering love and support from his husband, who we affectionately dubbed Mr. Kasha Davis, and the incredible moment his dad saw him for who he truly is. Mrs. Kasha Davis is known for her travel cabaret performances, drag brunches, college bingos, and positivity talks, sharing her coming out story, sobriety journey, and jazzy performances, which intertwine forgiveness, determination, motivation, and self-acceptance for audiences of all ages. Be sure to keep an eye out for her story hour for children entitled Imagination Station, coming soon to TV. So welcome. I was so excited when Jen was like, I grew up with Mrs. Kasha Davis. And I was like, what? I was like... (laughs) I know Mrs. Kasha Davis, and this is what's so interesting. So I fly a lot for work, and um, I was on an airplane, and usually I'm asleep because, like, airplane sleep is the best. Thank you. Yes, it is. 
And but I was awake. It was a long flight. So I was like, oh, what do they have on this Delta TV screen? And RuPaul's Drag Race season seven, it must have been. Is that the season that you were on? Yes. Actually, I think it was season four, to be honest, Ed. Season four. And they had the first four episodes. And I watched the first four episodes. And I was like, this was just last year. Oh, wow. I was like, where has this been my whole life? And so when I got off the plane over the next two months, I finished season four and I also streamed. I started at season one, episode one. I watched every single season all the way through 12 Mm. seasons. And so in two months, that's how many episodes I watched. And I remembered Mrs. Kasha Davis. And the reason I remembered Mrs. Kasha Davis is because you were so nice. You were so funny. Your drag was the bomb. Like, go ahead, put that out there, right? Like, I loved your performing, but I just felt so connected to you as a person on the screen. And so when we were doing research for this episode, I told Jada, I was like, I did not realize that you went off in episode five because I would have thought you were all the way to the end just because of how much you stuck with me in the middle of a whole of what a hundred episodes. And so like, do you get that? Well, first and foremost, thank you. And I have learned really that, uh, that is, that is the gem. Mm-hmm. That is the thing that people gravitate with Mrs. Kasha Davis, with, with Ed. Ed. I am working very hard to be as mm-hmm. honest and open as possible, to be as grateful as possible, and to spread kindness. I knew as a little boy, girl, gal, girl, boy, fella, <laughs> and that's my line that I use on stage, that that child, I knew that, I'll never forget the funniest story. My uncles and my dad were in the military, and we were all sitting on the porch, and of course they were having their drinks and whatever, and we're sitting there outside, and, they, and I was a little, I was little, I don't know how young, and they said, so what branch of the military are you going to be in? I said, the Salvation Army. I love everybody. And of course, they all laughed. But I really think that I have followed it's pure. through. <laughs> in, you know, it was, I just, I've always known that I was a spiritual mm. person. I didn't know mm-hmm. what that meant. It's come into fruition in my in my later years. But I remember my mother would say, oh, Eddie, you just, you have so mm. much love. Go outside and go tell me when you lie down in the grass and look up at the trees, tell me if you can hear God oh, waving wow. to you. She would say things like that. And I would see the leaves and I would just get into this place. And I have just always had this desire to be kind. And so it's really escalated in the drag persona and it's given me the platform to be able to in a showy mm-hmm. kind of charismatic clown way to just be this exaggerated version yeah. of that and I loved it I really felt it so before we get too far in I like to ask everybody at the end of the show so I say this is me like giving you a heads up on the final exam although there are only a pluses on this final exam <laughs> okay great the last question that I'll ask you before we get out of here so this is on addiction the podcast. It's a companion to Unaddiction, the book, which thank you for writing a blurb to be seen on the back of the cover jacket. Oh gosh. And we made up this word unaddiction with the idea that we want people to unlearn what we think we know about addiction, undo the stigma that is killing people, and uncover 
the conversations that we need to be having. And so like the goal of this podcast is to be having those conversations. At the end of this episode, Ed, I want to ask you if there is one thing you want the listeners to either unlearn or one stigma you want the listeners to undo or one conversation you want the listeners to uncover, what would that be? But save it to the end. Don't answer right now. I see see your brain turning. (laughs) Right. Oh, that's a fun question. Okay. Okay. I'm saving it. Before we get into it, I think it's so amazing. I was watched you on season seven of RuPaul's Drag Race. And then just this morning, like full transparency and honesty, I was like, oh, Mrs. Casa Davis was also on season eight, All Stars. Yes. And on season seven, your stick was, it's always time for a cocktail. There better be a box of wine, <laughs> right? Right. And then season eight, which was, I guess, eight years later, All Stars, it was, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, wrong meeting. And <laughs> sobriety and like the beauty of sobriety. And so can you talk to us about that journey oh, and what recovery is like for you today? Well, goodness, how do I put this into perspective? So when I auditioned for season seven of RuPaul's Drag Race, I was in the throes of my addiction, managing Mm -hmm. it. I always knew I was an alcoholic from the moment I ever had the taste of alcohol. It took away anxiety. For me, it was Mm. a big deal about anxiety. It took it away. And as we know, it then multiplied it and then I'd have to drink more or use Xanax Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. And so at the point, my mother had passed away. I had auditioned seven times. I finally Mm. got cast and I was dealing with so many emotional things that I, or excuse me, I wasn't dealing with emotional things and anesthetizing with alcohol on a consistent basis. And I was losing all this weight and trying to give the world of drag what I thought they wanted. And so I was cast Mm. and, and it was a joy. It was a joy to say that finally in my life, not only am I out, I have a loving, supportive husband. I have two Mm. stepdaughters Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm finally doing something that I've always wanted to do, which is to perform. I went to school for theater. As I mentioned, Mm -hmm. I was a dancer. Mm -hmm. And so here I am doing this and crash burn about a few months, I would say, yes, a few months after the bookings weren't coming in. Uh, I was crashing and burning and mm. drinking more and drinking more to deal with the self-comparison and the self-doubt and uh, ended up, I had left my career that was of 18 years, which was very successful. And I was, mm. it was a management a marketing career and telemarketing for a great company, a good telemarketing company. So I left that. I felt I was disappointing the my husband by leaving this job with this, mm. this financial security. And then myself, I thought, Oh, you were, you were, everybody was right. You can't do this. Your father was right. You can't be a performer. Mm. You took this leap and you're not getting bookings. Well, it was also a slow time of the year, which I realized later on. So I wasn't getting these bookings and there I was drinking all day and I had my third DUI and I was swerving from children. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we talk about a bottom. And all the other times I thought I was managing it. And I realized when I was told the next morning by my husband that that happened, I said, oh, yeah, I have no control. That is not me. This is not managed. This is not me. This is not managed. This is something that happens to me when I consume alcohol and I can't stop and I don't 
ever want to go there. So I got to my mm. knees and I prayed and I looked out the window and I asked whatever there was. I had a strong Ukrainian Orthodox church upbringing, but I always used it when I needed it. Mm -hmm. And there I was asking, please help. And from that, the journey began. And so I was able to make recovery my full-time job. I went mm. into outpatient rehab and I went to multiple meetings a day. And it began the process of rebuilding and relearning and re-emphasizing my spiritual connection and reconnecting to that child that looked out the window and saw God in the leaves. Yeah, that and, child in the grass. Yeah. I, I love that you just said, I thought this was so powerful and then I'm going to butt out and let you keep um, going because I'm like enraptured listening. I love that it started with, this is not me. Because I think that's one of the most destructive myths that we have about addiction is that that addiction is the person. Right. And it's like, no, that addiction is happening to that person. Yes. I I love that and I relate to that. And I I realized that I was a zombie. I was obviously in a, mm. I was in a blackout. And I my memories to this day of that that new it was at noon. I it was like flashes of memory that you would imagine when people say at the end of their life, I had like, I was at a red light and I was swerving. And then I, then I was, mm. then I was, was making a wrong turn. And, and then I had moments of where I remember being, uh, the sobriety test. And then I remember falling in my front, all of this like blinks, mm. blinks, blinks. And I thought, mm -hmm. how did I get to, to this point? And, and apparently I had gone to a liquor store in a blackout and, and driving. And, and I'm like, I, I thinking back at this, I'm like, what was this rationale? It was not the decisions I was taught to make. It's not who the decisions I want to make. I was making these decisions led by alcohol. So fast forward as I learned about the disease of alcohol, what was wonderful, my therapist in outpatient said, a high percentage of people do not stay sober, but these are the things that if you put your effort into it, will help. Mm -hmm. And she talked about mm -hmm. the, the recovery process by joining it with the community of meetings. And for me, that became powerful. Yes. I am a meeting person. I love people. I love to hear other uh -huh. people's stories. I love to utilize this card catalog of experiences that someday, if and when I go through it, I can remember so said person mm. and say, this is how they did X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And so I, I committed to it and I enjoyed learning more about the disease. I learned more about the fact that I am like so many other people really connected to that little boy who was like, everybody's equal. And I looked around the room and I can see a CEO and somebody uh, maybe who's, you know, currently unemployed and we're the same mm -hmm. and all mm -hmm. ages and, and walks of life. And I thought, oh, wonderful. This I love. And so when there was the opportunity for finally to go to on All Stars, I was like, yes, I get to do this sober. And I have uh -huh. always wanted the anonymity part for me is not necessary because I want to help people. It's not about bragging. I know I have one day at a time. I am so amazed at the things that have happened in my life and the clarity that I mm. want to share this with other people. So I knew that in preparation for going to All Stars, like, you know, what would be your opening line? I was like, oh, absolutely. My name is Mrs. Kasha Davis and I'm an alcoholic. Like, so powerful. Yes. All those years of me saying the line, uh, there's always time for a cocktail and celebrating getting hammered. Uh -huh. I, and the and the jokes within the the boozy housewife, all of that was fun and funny, and it still is for people if they are able to drink in a healthy manner. But for me, it was mm -hmm. never healthy. And so 
to be open and honest. When I tell you, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at a wall, this in my I'm in my costume area and I have all these thank you notes. And it is amazing. <laughs> I'm literally over here like fangirling your costumes. Well, I get messages on the daily basis, on the daily mm. basis. And I do cameo messages on the daily, on the weekly basis where people are sharing their journey and telling me how, because I am speaking of yes. it, that it has helped them to start. And I have people, you know, I have one month today. I have two years today. I have, mm-hmm. and it's because you mentioned it. And that is a bigger payment for the work that I do than anything I could imagine. It's so beautiful. I'm doing this um, program. It's called Positive Intelligence Quotient. I don't know if you've heard it. I think it is something that you would love. I'm not being paid for this endorsement, PQ. (laughs) And so the purpose of this program is really to like in the moments of pain in our life to be able to find the sage and say like, what is the gift of knowledge or what is the gift of power or what is the gift of inspiration that makes this moment necessary and meaningful? And so what I hear you saying is like that rock bottom, most painful flashes of don't even know how I got here in a blackout to a liquor store, to a red light, to swerving, to where to a sobriety test, to where I am, was the gift of inspiration. Not just for you to get sober, but to be able to start season eight all-stars like I'm an alcoholic. And so many people see that and receive that gift of inspiration. It's just... Well, thank you. It's beautiful. I love it. (laughs) Well, and so people would say uh, over the years, so is it when I would talk about sobriety, they would say, oh... So is it uh, is it time for a mocktail and in a in a jabbing mm-hmm. way? And I was like, oh, well, sure. And so I had I thought about it, and immediately it came to my mind that my catchphrase would change to "There's always time for kindness." Oh. And I know that the world needs that in so many ways. And so when I was eliminated on season mm-hmm. eight. I took that same pose that I took when I was eliminated on season seven and said, there's always time for a Mm. cocktail and now said, there's always time for Mm. kindness. And when I tell you my instant messages and blew up, the world, the world heard it. They felt it. People told me they, they cried along with me because I wasn't crying because I was being eliminated. I was crying because I was full of gratitude. Mm. What a marvelous opportunity for a drag queen who has lived in a time when we had to hide yeah. being who we were, yeah. which were part of the reasons which drove me to drink. Because yep. I was always so ashamed of who I was, but now we're celebrating mm-hmm. on an international mm-hmm. basis. People know your name and you have this platform and this opportunity to share. Yes, fabulosity and laughter and humor, but also to share the commonality that we all have. This is why I believe people are gravitating to RuPaul's Drag Race, because they see these way different appearing people. Mm -hmm. And then they like, oh my gosh, I relate to that person. I feel that. I've had that same experience. I've felt that same emotion. Yes. And that is what I think is the magic it's in uh, the episodes, but also in Untucked, where people are sharing their truth mm-hmm. in a way that a drag queen looks like they're so ridiculous. They're so over the top that it's easy to say, well, I'm not like them. But then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my gosh, I am just yeah. like them. That is me. I see myself on the screen. And it's a wonderful thing, too, when I see at our when we have drag con where people get together to see the queens of RuPaul's Drag Race and beyond the other uh, people who have are looking to be cast, etc. But it's this beautiful convention. When you look across the room, you see, I say, people of all ages. But what you primarily see, you see young women. Really? And I am inspired by this because I have sisters who struggled 
with, oh goodness, I don't look like this person mm. on a magazine. And this is the style and I don't fit mm. into that. And I'd like to wear this, but everybody's wearing that. And a drag queen is like, do whatever you want. And we celebrate every yeah. shape and size and color. And I love to see that. Mm. I love to see that inspiration uh, being passed on to anyone, really. Yeah. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out March 27th from Lemonada Media. Hey, Lemonada listeners. We want to hear from you. You know we love our sponsors for a ton of reasons, but one of the main ones is that they help us keep the lights on. And there's a really easy way that you can help us draw new advertisers and hear ads for things you're most interested in. Filling out our quick anonymous survey at lemonadamedia.com survey. By just answering a few questions, you can help us find new brands to connect with and also share feedback about show content you'd like to see across the network. And to sweeten the deal, once you've completed the survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Visa gift card. I promise the survey is short and sweet and will help us play ads you don't want to skip and also keep bringing you content you love. Just go to lemonadamedia.com survey. Yeah, I love it so much. My husband and I are big Beyonce fans, and we just went to her. Right. I mean, of course. So we just went to of the course. most um, recent concert. And even just before we even got into the arena, like it was such a beautiful expression of everybody here being them. And then she put like everybody on the stage, right? All the way down to, well, I won't spoil it for anybody who maybe is, right? you know, I don't need any death threats coming my way, but um, <laughs> get a hold well, of myself. I'm not laughing at the death threat, but yeah. I'm, I'm laughing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was not funny. You know what I mean? But it was I, just, That's the world we live yeah, in. Yeah, it was just beautiful. It was just beautiful. And it reminds me like back to what you said about being in the rooms and looking around and being like, this is our innate humanity. This is our innate yes. humanity. And this is part of, you know, what I'm so passionate about. Like, we make people start to believe that this disease is who they are. And because they have this disease, somehow their innate humanity is no longer valuable or no longer beautiful. And we do it in so many different ways, not just with addiction. We do it with being gay. We do it with being trans. We do it with being black. We do it with being short. We do it with being not having hair. We do it with your teeth aren't straight, right? Like all of all of the ways that we give this wrong message that somehow your innate value is not magnificent. And to me, like that's what drag is. It's so big and it's so magnificent because it's like the innate beauty of people in costume. Yes. I love that. And I, I love that there are more and more celebrities, performers, artists continuing to share kindness, to continuing yes. to address these social issues, which I think it's always that way. But and that we have platforms mm -hmm. like this podcast that is tied to a book and so many resources for people, because as we know, we all have to find our own way. And if if there are more people talking about their experience of all walks of life, someone's going to say, oh, OK. Because you often hear people saying, how do I 
experience joy? How do mm. I live without my alcohol or drug of choice? Mm -hmm. How do I move past these things of any form mm -hmm. of addiction, really? Food, sex, gambling, yes. all the, how do I exist without it? And the more people show how they're existing and the tools. I only had tools in my life. I was brought up in a, in a fairly decent home. I, I'm not going to give them too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> we had issues. We had issues. But, you know, it was fine. And then... Welcome welcome to having a family. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so And so I knew right from wrong is my point. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so I had this toolbox that said when you have a bad day or a struggle or even joy, you reach for food, drugs, mm -hmm. alcohol. And now I, there's a simplicity of hungry, angry, lonely, yes, tired. Halt. Are you, are you, are, love, I halt. love halt. I, I, okay. Teach <laughs> us about halt, please, Ed. Right. Yes. Well, so it's an acronym where it says stop before you react or uh, respond with reaching for something. Ask yourself, are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And these things are often the reason why we may be uh, ready to act in a certain way or to maybe go into reaching for a drink or whatever. They're just simply being miserable. Mm -hmm. Losing your ability to be kind. Yes. And I have learned, wow, the power of a nap. Even if it's 10 minutes, I just need to sit quiet yes. for 10 minutes, especially in this world where a foot away is a phone and a computer and we're so connected and everyone's reaching and asking and the power of uh, the first tattoo I got, I reach over this way. It says grateful, the power of gratitude, as you mentioned in the tough times, what, what in this moment, stop and mm -hmm. look around, look at your feet, look left and right. What is it that we can be grateful mm. for? And when you find that and you remember that and you journal on, on the, these positive things, it's the simplicity, the mind shift of moving from what I don't have, what I'm lacking to what I do have. Mm -hmm. And it seems as though the universe then provides you more of this, the power of meditation and or mm -hmm. prayer and just walking in nature, mm -hmm. uh, the reading of so many wonderful books like yours or the podcasts or the, the ones that lead you to meditation. And now there's a million Instagram positivity places that you can reach for mm -hmm. and get in your algorithm. And then, of course, reaching out to others and getting into your community. These tools have taken me to another place yeah. in my life that I could not have dreamt. I was I, I was dreaming for such a, a basic life story. Mm. And now this has given me intricacies within my career and within my relationship with myself, mm. with my higher power, with my spouse, with my stepchildren. We have such a stronger, more beautiful bond. It's all because of, of this journey. I couldn't, I couldn't, truly couldn't be more grateful. That toolbox yeah. is overflowing now. I love what you said, which is like, if we think about the journey to recovery as a path to just be like very literal with the metaphor, one, so many people don't know the path exists, don't even have the experiences that let them dream of a path to abundance like you just described. And two, even if you're longing for a path, if you don't see anybody that quote, looks like you. And I'm not just talking about race, age, gender. I'm just talking about somebody you can connect with, like, I feel a connection with that person. Then you don't even know where to take the first step to get on the path. So that's what I love when you're saying you're sitting in the rooms and you like have this Rolodex 
file of experiences, right? right? Like basically that's like whenever you can't see the path, somebody else has walked, burned down a path in that tall grass that you're like, that may be a path for me. This may be a path for me. This may yes. be a path for me. I've heard people tell me that sobriety seems like it would bo be boring and suck. Right. I've heard that. <laughs> I thought that. And I remember, first off, there were trickles of moments of me trying to get sober before sobriety. I would take that, what do they call it? No drinks January. Uh huh. And I would last like maybe at the most three weeks before I started sneaking it. And so I thought, oh, that wasn't too bad, but I was kind of bored on Friday nights, you know was because my circle of friends were, we were enabling one another. So we had this group of people that we essentially stuck together because this one was just as bad as this one or whatever we thought. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it was, it was celebrated to get messy. And then this, the, the second thing is I asked my primary care physician at the time, I said, I think it was around when my mom passed and I was drinking heavily and I lied mm -hmm. about what I drank. I didn't tell him the truth. And I think that I would think that he knew that, but obviously he was taking my word for it. My point is I did not know all of the free ways <laughs> towards this recovery journey. I did not know. I thought, for instance, going to AA, you had to have a prescription. I really did. Oh, wow. I did not know. I knew nobody. Yeah. Because why would I? Right. My disease told me, don't you hang around with them. Uh -huh. The jokes were, those are quitters. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, there's 12 <laughs> steps to recovery and there's 12 steps to the bar. Ha ha. Mm -hmm. You know, or only two steps to the bar. You know, so I'm so frustrated because I remember there were glimpses of people trying to lead me towards those people, mm -hmm. but I was scared of them because mm -hmm. I thought, oh, gosh, boring weak, mm -hmm. quitter. Mm. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, those were little higher power moments of reaching out saying, hey, hey, they were seeds. try this path, try this path. They were seeds. Yeah. And now, now the flower has blossomed, is, is blossoming. I think there's no past tense. <laughs> right, right. It's continuing to evolve and grow. And as long as you water it, nurture it and, and maintain, I'll, I, I have such a uh, connection to my higher power and my, my parents have both passed mm. and I'm close with them. They're with me whenever I need them. Mm. And I, I know this now, are they right there? Do I see them? Do I hear them? No, I sense their embrace. I was so fearful of my mom passing and it was, uh, I now can look back because of um, <laughs> outside help, some therapy, some uh, grief counseling, all of these things yeah. that I think are wonderful it helped me to realize she was also an addict. Mm. She was dealing with pain pill addiction. And so she, mm -hmm. oh, well, this was prescribed by the doctor, you know. And so I was always there to, I, I realized now how much I was protecting her. And so I was scared because I knew that she was doing something wrong and that anything at any time mm. something had happened and it inevitably did. You know, my favorite story that I just feel compelled to tell you, mm -hmm. growing up, as I mentioned, the 70s and 80s, it was the, the life of being in the closet. It was the life of not being myself. It was... I was, mm. I was trained by my father that all of my feminine qualities were bad. I was expected to act, speak in a lower voice, stand a certain way, not mm. flail my arms. And, and my father was the first person to call me a fairy. And he and I mm. never had a good relationship. And I had so many dreams throughout the years. I was like, oh gosh, I, I wish, and this is the truth. I wish he would pass away in his sleep. We had verbal and physical altercations on the daily. Mm. And so fast forward, my mom passes and he starts to take a look at his life and began to get closer to us. They had disowned me for coming out. And uh, mm. we kind of... They both mom and dad? Mom, mom and dad. We kind mm. of got a little closer, but then mom passed and then dad was like, life is short. Like you can tell something hit him like, whoa, mm -hmm. I need to rebuild these relationships. Mm. 
And he made his effort. Well, I, in the sobriety journey, the one thing I never, ever, 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 ever would have dreamt of was that I would suddenly have this relationship with my father. So I started to clean up my side of the street. I started to look at forgiveness. I started to look at my part in uh, certain things, most especially as I got older, not so much as mm -hmm. a child, but, and I forgave him. And it was at this spot right here where I'm sitting, where one day I just told him, I love him. And he replied, mm. I love you too. Mm. And I knew he knew about drag, but I was in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I was booked at a Toyota dealership to do a, a show. A Toyota dealership? <laughs> to do a show. I don't know. To do a show for Kinky Boots. Kinky Boots was coming to, that, to oh, yeah. town, and it was, it's about a, a father and a son's difficult relationship. Mm -hmm. And I was in the paper, and I went to visit my mom's grave, and I felt this. She's like, go see your father. Go see your father. I'm like, Ugh. So I go see my father. I do. And he says, I see you've got a show tonight. Yeah. Uh, what time? Six o'clock. I'll be there. I literally just like lost all control. I thought, you know, crap my pants. And I was like, no, 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 no. Not a good idea, dad. I, I said, listen, it's okay. I appreciate it, but I'm going to be in drag. He said, I saw the paper. What time? Six o'clock. I'll be there. Oh my gosh. Nervous wreck. So yeah. I'm backstage, which otherwise is known as the sales department. <laughs> and, and here he comes and he comes around the corner and I'm in full drag. And he says, wow. Eddie, you're beautiful. Oh. Not Kasha. And it wasn't a joke. He meant it. And during the show, we shook hands, which was that masculine, you know, you shake hands. And my friend got a photo of it, and I posted it on social media. And a few months later, my dad is ill and uh, goes through all the complications of cancer. And I'm there every minute of the way. Mm. I'm there with my sisters, and we're at the bedside and all of it. And he passes, and on the side of his bed, there's this box, and I open it. I was cleaning things out, and there's a piece of paper. And his friend had emailed him. He said, did you see Kasha at the Toyota dealership? And he said, yes, that's my son, Eddie, and I am so proud. And... Um, I get emotional when I think about it because I never would have ever, ever expected us to get to that place. Mm -hmm. And there is only one reason. It's because of the work that I put in and the gifts of sobriety and the stories that I heard in the rooms of people who were able to do the same. Mm. My sponsor encouraged me, forgiveness, 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 acceptance, mm -hmm clean your side of the street. And I was able to take those suggestions. And again, that's something that I just wrote off. I thought we we're just going to hate each other until the end. Yeah. And we didn't have a lot of time of joy, but it was really meaningful. And um, he saw me, mm. even though I was in that full drag regalia, mm -hmm. he saw me mm -hmm. through that and said he was proud and said I was beautiful. And so yeah. I share that story as often as I can because I think it's a true example of of what can happen on because oftentimes we look for the house, the boat, the car, the the new job, but those things that are so beautiful and meaningful that can happen because of putting in the work. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. I um am getting myself together over here because <laughs> You can see the tears running down yeah, my yeah. face, even though the listeners cannot. That is, um, that is what I hope for for every son and father who have had this experience of a relationship, which is so common with so much pain. That was just, I love your dad. I, love <laughs> I you. do too. He's he really he surprised us all with how hard yeah. he worked at, that right before his passing on. Oh and, my goodness, uh, just beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, 
I'm like trying to get myself together. Our time is very close to up together, Ed. This has been incredible. Thank you for sharing so... I think this is what I connected to the first time I saw you on TV. For sharing so vulnerably and authentically. I think the more we can connect our deepest selves to each other, like the healthier we get from all angles. So just thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. I really, I think it's so, so important, especially in the world we live in with technology, to be open and honest. I think there's yeah. all too often people put on another face and a facade mm-hmm. and the truth heals. Yep. The truth it heals. really does. All right. So I promised the final exam. <laughs> the time has come. The question from the top of the show. Now, I would love to hear your you send us out on some words of wisdom, not that you haven't been taking us to school all episode. <laughs> if there's one thing you want people to unlearn about addiction and recovery or undo a piece of stigma or uncover a conversation that we need to have, what would it be? Hmm. Well, I think the thing that res- that's coming to me is that no matter how low we get, no matter how bad it is, on the way here, I was coming from the gym and I was driving past somebody, a young man in the very, very hot sun standing asking for money. And I'm thinking as I was going through the light and I saw him and I just felt this sadness that he was emitting. And I thought to myself, I've heard these stories and I've been through these difficult times where I thought, I'm so low, I have lost my light. Mm. I have lost my love for myself. And my mom was such a gem. She is the one of the main reasons why I do drag because I get to keep her humor and some of her fabulosity alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember as a child watching her put on makeup and wanting to do it and being interested in it. And uh, she said, Eddie, no matter what you do, in this life. And this is what I would say to anyone who feels as though they're so low that they've lost their light, which is their love for themselves, Mm -hmm. is to look in the mirror every day after you brush your teeth, Eddie, and say, I love you. Mm. Because when you love yourself, everything is possible. And I think it is so important to remember that no matter what happens in this life, that that light and that love is still as strong as ever. Mm -hmm. It takes that courage and effort for ourselves to look deep into ourselves and, and remember that it's we are of value, we are love, we are light, we are all the same. Mm, I love it. So that was what kind of came to me. I I like to share that because she was just, she was such a gem. And I know that there are listeners out there who just think, oh my gosh, it just simply can't get any worse. But it all begins to rebuild when we love ourselves. Yeah. I love it. Well, I do not have any words to put behind those beautiful words of sage wisdom. (laughs) Just to say thank you. So incredible. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. What a joy. You're like such a real person. You know, you like see somebody on TV and you're like, oh, my God, I'm a fan. (laughs) And you're just like. You're just like such a real person. I feel like you just like eat fried chicken. I, I love that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Our favorite. You know, we discovered later, uh, what's it called? Nashville hot chicken. Oh my gosh. Oh, 
I don't know. I have the taste buds of a toddler. So when it has hot in the name, I don't know about that. I get I know I get it. Our daughter's that way too. She's like, nope, just <laughs> plain, plain, plain. But but fried chicken though, who says no to fried chicken? If you or a loved one are experiencing addiction, seeking support in your own recovery, or have questions about substance use, visit eleanorhealth.com. That's E-L-E-A-N-O-R health.com. My book, Unaddiction, Six Mind-Changing Conversations That Could Save a Life, is now available for pre-order at bookshop.org, Union Square and Company, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and wherever books are sold. You can find me on LinkedIn at Nzinga A. Harrison, MD, Instagram, Threads, and the platform formerly known as Twitter, at Nzinga, MD. That's N-Z-I-N-G-A-M-D. If you liked this episode, please share it with someone you think may need to hear it. Also, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star review. That helps us reach any and everyone who may be looking for support in the face of addiction. Lemonada. In 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Since then, it's been a barrage of bad news. But behind the bleak headlines, there are people working to protect our right to control our future. The Defenders is a new 10-part series about the fight for freedom in a post-Roe America. Co-hosted by Samantha Bee and me, Gloria Riviera, the show will examine ways people are still accessing care, from crossing state borders to self-managed abortion. You'll hear from activists, providers, and everyday people doing the work to expand reproductive freedom. We're here to tell you, anyone can become a Defender. The Defenders is out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey friends, it's Megan Trainer. And her big bro, Ryan Trainer, And her husband, Daryl Sabara. Each week on our podcast, Working On It, we share behind-the-scenes stories and bring you into our hilarious and heartfelt conversations, and sometimes with amazing guests. We tackle everything from navigating Hollywood to mental health to Megan becoming a mother, Daryl becoming a father, and so much more. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of our lives and leave no detail behind. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. Listen to new episodes out every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts.